Welcome to Films from the Phantom Zone. Today we are doing... That's not how I do this. Welcome to Films from the Phantom Zone, where we talk about failed and forgotten comic book movies. I'm your host, Arnaldo, and with me is... Birdo. Real quick recap of the rules. What we do here, we talk about failed comic book movies. Three rules we decided. Number one, must be a comic book superhero movie. Number two, must be a failed franchise or part of a failed franchise, as in it's out of business. They're not making any more of these. They decided didn't make any money. No good. Cancelled. Uh, number three, uh, an exception to number two is if a film ends on its own terms. So if they decided to make three movies, they made three movies, they didn't pressure to make more, then it passes. And so we've we talked about on our special episode some that pass and all that don't. So what movie are we watching today, Berto? Today we are watching League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh yeah, I should have started uh, up top. Um <laughs> Sean Connery passed over the weekend, and as sad as that is, he was 90 years old, had been retired for quite a bit, and so kind of good for him that he, you know, went off on his own terms, uh, yeah. had a nice retirement, and went at a pretty good age. I feel like if I was that old, I'd be, I'd be pretty satisfied. Yeah, 90's a pretty good age to make it to. So. Yeah, sure. So we thought we would jump around, uh, bump this one up, because it's the only movie on our list with Sean Connery in it. Uh, it's also the movie that, how do I put this nicely, inspired him to retire. Yeah, it did. It was the last on-screen appearance ever in a Yeah, movie. so we're doing League of Extraordinary Gentlemen based on the comic book by Alan Moore. Oh, and before we get started, this movie is streaming on Amazon Prime Video. So if you have Amazon Prime, you know a lot of people do, uh, then you already have this movie. If you want to pause and watch the movie with us, pause right now, watch the movie, come back, and listen to this while it's fresh in your mind. If you don't want to put yourself through that misery, then by all means, don't. Yeah, it's less than two hours. You can suffer with us. Oh, I suffered. Okay. (laughs) Initial thoughts. Do you remember watching this movie? I watched it a few times when I was younger, but I don't remember anything. Like, I didn't remember anything past, like, act two of the movie. So I might not have ever finished the movie. Same. I was just telling you, you just walked in, and I was finishing the movie, and I'm like, I've never seen this movie. And I swore I've seen this movie a thousand times, but I think it's because it was on TV a lot. It played on FX a lot. They played it on FX, DVD on TV. Do you remember that? I do. And they had, like, the special features. Yeah. Instead of commercial breaks? No, it still had commercial breaks. Oh. It had special features in addition to commercial breaks on when you came back from commercial. Usually a movie that they put on TV, let's say if it's a two-hour movie, then they set aside a three-hour block. For DVD on TV, they had like probably a four-hour block. So they could watch the movie, plus commercials, plus you had to watch those two hosts banter for a little bit, plus watch all the special features. And now I'm realizing, yeah, no shit, I never got through... Like the third act That's of the movie. That's a long time to just sit there. Third act of the movie, I'm watching, I'm like, I didn't, I've never seen a single one of these shots. Like, this is all fresh to me. Whereas, I could have swore this movie ended uh, in the, at the end of the second act when they go to Venice, and we'll get to that. I thought the same thing while I was watching. I'm like, this is like the end of the movie, right? This is really short. Yeah, I had to pause and be like, is this movie almost over? Like, what's going on here? It's only halfway through. <laughs> yeah, and then I got sad. <laughs> Alright, you want to get to the plot? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, usually you're the one that remembers more and you carry me through this. Well, you did watch it more recently than I did. That's true, by a day. So the movie opens up 1899, old Victorian London. Right. And they have this, it's like a bit of a scroll on the screen. It was like an opening crawl type yeah. thing, which 
When I, when I saw it, I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Oh, and we get into it, but there's a lot about this movie that is smart, I think. The original premise on paper was really, really good. And then as the movie kind of kept going, when they're writing some things, it kind of falls apart. I feel like there was a lot of issues behind the scenes. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. So, yeah, and basically it just says, hey, it's London, it's 1899. Uh, <laughs> Turn of the century. Yeah, it's the Industrial Revolution, but this is a alternate timeline. As Alan Moore likes to do in his stories. Yeah, right. Instead of an industrial revolution with whatever, it's like a steampunk past. Which gives the movie like really cool like costume design, a cool like atmosphere, stuff like that. I kind of disagree. I wish they had, because I feel like they half-ass it. I feel like they should have just gone full steampunk or not at all. Instead of like this... Yeah, it sort of kind of skirts the line. It is was, this real? Is it not real? It was closer to like Victorian than it was like steampunk. Yeah. Did you ever watch the Three Musketeers movie that's super steampunk? I did, and I actually really liked that movie. I, I want to watch that one because only for the steampunk. Because I remember it was like the only movie to come out and be completely unapologetic. Like they, they went steampunk. all in on it. It went all in. Okay, so you think they kind of like. They had the idea of doing it in this movie, but they kind of shied away I just, from yeah, it. Yeah, I just said, like, fuck it, like, go all in. Why not? So anyway, it becomes super evident when this tank just kind of bursts through some building. Yeah, and these dumbass police officers are just standing in front of it going, Halt! Yeah. Halt! In their defense, they've never seen a tank before. But they start shooting at it, they're chasing it down the street, bursts into uh, the Bank of London, into a vault, blows a vault away, so they're going to steal the money. The dumb thing that happens, the cops are out behind them, they're still shooting at the tank, and then the villains, obviously, that are in the tank, get out. And they start shooting at each other instead of like, you're in the fucking tank, which is windowless, by the way. I don't know how they were driving it. But you're in the tank. Just shoot them in the tank. Where are you going to get out of the tank and shoot them well, with the guns? Well, the movie needed a firefight at the beginning. Yeah. So they come out. They start speaking German. They leave one guy alive. And the bad guy's like, leave one guy alive to tell the tale. Yeah. So that guy's like, oh, the Germans attacked us. And right. then there's the newspaper flashing. Yeah, oh, like an, a classic old movie thing with like the newspaper montage and yeah. stuff. So this is 15, 16 years before World War One starts. So in this moment in regular history, there's already tensions building up between right. Germany and a lot of Western Europe. And now as far as the world is concerned, Germany just attacked. Right. right. And, and the newspapers are all like, Germany says they didn't do it, but England thinks that they're lying. And Great Britain, blah, blah, blah. Right. And is this, does this mean war? And yada, yada. And then we have another scene where the bad guys attack Germany, basically. Oh, and, that's right. With the yeah. Zeppelins. Yep. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I kind of wish they had done more Zeppelins. Zeppelins are super Zeppelins steampunk. Zeppelins are super steampunk. They're super cool. Yeah, they're super cool. And they were also like historically accurate around this time. Right. So it's one of those kind of... I, I do like alternate... I don't always like steampunk, but I do like... Like, what if instead of building cars and airplanes and helicopters, we went all in on Zeppelins? You know what right. I mean? Which would be, I mean, be interesting. They do it in Batman. Uh, is it Gotham by... No, no, no. no. In, in a lot of Batman. Oh, just Batman in, like, in general. In, yeah, yeah. Like okay. in, yeah, yeah. In Gotham City, there's like uh, air balloons and Zeppelins rolling around. Anyway, when the, so the, the bad guy, so the tank goes into uh, that Zeppelin like factory, factory and then the bad guy comes out i thought it was a cross between hitler and genghis khan when i first saw it with the bad guy yeah yeah it took me a minute to like with his mask and stuff yeah because he's like speaking german and he's all oh yeah you know. i thought his design kind of looked like a power ranger villain no that's what i'm saying he kind of uh, looks like you know who he looks like who? we just watched scooby-doo oh uh scooby-doo 2 the guy yeah. with the yeah. like tin mask yeah 
<laughs> I'm going to pull that up. He looks just like that. He looks like a cross between that and the villain from uh, Power Rangers Time Force. Let me show you what he looks like. Oh, my God. You're right. Right. We're going to put these images up in the show description to show everybody. <laughs> so then cuts to Africa, and they're looking for our main character, Alan Quartermain. Played by Sean Connery. Played by Sean Connery. This is where, it come, where he comes in. This is the part where I kind of want to break off a little bit and talk about the premise of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's a comic book. Like the Avengers or Justice League, they're trying yep. to ring up a team of extraordinary people to fight the bad guys. However, instead of saying, well, we're going to get all these comic book characters that you're very familiar with, like Spider-Man and Iron Man, and you know that feeling you get when you finally see them team up, we're going to do that, but with classical literary characters. Which is kind of a cool concept. Oh, no, I, I completely agree. I think it's very interesting. Right. However... Who's this for? <laughs> like, right? Is it for that s- small cross it's very section? Niche. Yeah, that small cross section of you know comic book superhero fans and also book nerds. I mean, I'm kind of a book nerd, so I did like that. Have you read any of these books? I've read The Picture of Dorian Gray. Oh, I have read Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. I think it was called like The Curious Case of Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. You're better read than I assumed. <laughs> I. So did that part yeah. kind of work for you? That like, yeah, no, I thought that characters. was like really cool. I'm like, oh, this is literary characters like teaming like badass versions of them. They're already kind of oh, badass in their yeah, books, much but. more badass in, in the books in some of these cases. True, Captain Nemo. He's not just like an explorer. He's like this badass. Yeah. So naval I captain. Right. So in lieu of having to see other movies and whatever, and for people that haven't read these books, every time we hit one of these characters, I'm just going to bounce off and talk about their appearance and stuff. Half of these I didn't know when I saw the movie the first time. I only knew some of them, and some I probably assumed incorrectly. Like, Captain Nemo, I thought that was Captain... The other guy from Moby Dick. Oh, Captain Ahab? Captain Ahab, yeah. I don't... I don't... I never read either of those, so I don't... I didn't know. Not but anyway... Classic literature? I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really not a book nerd, so... Okay. I, I was in high school. <laughs> I haven't read a book, like, actually sat down and read That's a book forever. Yeah. But so Alan Quartermain is from H. Ryder Hagger's King Solomon's Mines, uh, and he was in two sequels where he's basically this big game English hunter that goes down to Africa and has all these adventures. And he was actually super popular back in the day because they made him into yeah they made him into a bunch of different TV shows, some serials. So he was um, like one of the original like action yeah characters he's like, right. He's like an action adventure adve- yeah right. Yeah. So they come in asking for Alan Quartermain, and there's so many Easter eggs in this movie for just those people. Again, who is this for? Just those people who have read these books, right? Because the guy comes in looking for him, and he's, like, listing off his adventures from, like, his many books. Obviously, that goes over my head. But, again, if you're that person who's read all these... You probably thought this was really fucking cool. Yeah, maybe. At least the first, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. The first, like, 45 minutes of this movie is actually not bad, it's like, at all. It's banging. It's awesome. <laughs> I texted you, and I'm like, when yeah. is this? Because we're watching it at the same time, and I'm like, when is this going to get bad? I keep waiting for it to get bad. I thought this was going to be a bad movie. They assemble the team. They're like, moving around. It's a really around. cool intro. It's a, it, no, it's a ride. I, I really enjoyed it. So they have a whole action scene there because they get attacked, obviously. Right. And Quartermain is using all his... This is Sean Connery, by the way. I'm going to probably... And during all this, he's being recruited by M. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to more of that later. Sure. So they have this fight, and it's kind of funny because Sean Connery's already... Again, this is his, the end of his career. I think he's probably... Well, let's see. This came out in 2003. 
So that was 17 years ago, meaning he would have been... He would have been 73. His age does kind of show in this movie, too. Yeah. So at the beginning, again, this man's 73 years old. He looks great. He does not look 73. Sean Connery's always been, obviously, handsome. But young men are coming at him, and he's like... And punching fights with him, and he's just kind of very slowly punching them back. And they're like, they're stuntmen, they're like, yeah. and it jumping ca- off. Them. It feels very like Indiana Jonesy, though. Yeah, except in Indiana, well, because Indiana Jones, he's constantly getting beat up. That's kind of his shtick, is that he's not really a good fighter. That's true. He too. just kind of gets by, you know? And he's always kind of just like, they push him off the car, but he kind of gets back on. And he, Punches a guy. He's and persistent. He's, not, he's yeah, not a he's good fighter, but he's persistent. persistent. Right. So it just seems like they make him perfect at everything. Later on, there's a scene. The last bad guy is running out. He shoots him. Oh, he's like super far away. And he yeah. pulls out the rifle to shoot him. And then, like, can you even make that shot? And then Sean Connery just puts on some glasses. <laughs> Those are reading glasses, by the way. Like, that's not going to help no, you. No, that's to see things close to you. Exactly. Meanwhile, the entire building explodes, which seemed egregious. And there's going to be a lot of that. There's a lot of unnecessary explosions going on. Well, it's the early 2000s. Oh, right. It's kind of like there's this formula that they have on the wall, and they're like, all right, we got to do all these things for an action movie because it's the year 2003. The guy who comes to find him convinces him that they need his help because of he's a man of his talents or whatever. He's a hunter, like Big Wolf. He's a very good hunter. Why don't they use the army? It doesn't matter. Um, So they take him back to London, and I think it's cool because he gets out of the car, and they're like, oh, you made really good time. And he's like, well, so-and-so went around the world in 80 80 days. days. So they're constantly making little Easter eggs to other works of literature. And I'm sure there's a bunch of Easter eggs that I missed, but there's a bunch of that I missed too, but I did catch some as well. Goes inside, and then here's a man that introduces himself as M. Now, I thought this was interesting because, again, not only is this a team-up of all these literary characters, they're literary characters that would have been alive at that time. Which is also pretty damn cool. That No, that is super cool. And again, credit goes to Alan Moore in the comic book. Right. Movie probably wouldn't have done that much research. I've never read the comic, but like this movie does make me want to check them out because if such a cool concept exists, I want to see it done right. And I'm pretty sure... Yeah. Well, yeah, the premise is great, but the movie, when we get to it, I don't feel it executes very well. It starts to fall apart later. Oh, yeah. So he walks in, and the guy introduces himself as M, but I don't know if M is in the comic book, because M is a reference to M from James Bond. Right. Who is the leader of MI6, and he's putting together... He's always debriefing Bond on all his missions, and I feel he doesn't show up in a book till 1955. I feel like they just did that because here we've got Sean Connery here. It's going to be a fun little kind of reference. Right. But he, that is the one character that doesn't line that up. That was probably just like, yeah. Like, Unless if he was like, like... Connery used to be Bond, you know, yeah. let's get... Let's call this guy M. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool, but again, that doesn't match up with the timeline. Goes in there, M saying, I want to put together a team, a league of extraordinary gentlemen, and we've been doing this for a long time. And there's pictures on the wall of like previous leagues. And if you look, on one of them, they have like the three musketeers. Kind of cool. That was cool. There was another one, and I didn't catch who was on it, but I also wasn't about to like. I'm like, this is already too Easter eggy, hunt, uh, dense. So I'm I'm just gonna is that why you have going. like five pages of notes for this? I have five pages of notes. Hour yeah. and like fifty exactly. movement. <laughs> so they start introducing 
the other members, right, they just are slowly kind of, like, filing in. It's one of those things where I feel like, well, they're just waiting outside, waiting for their turn to come it's in, a, you It's know? a typical, like, movie thing. And it happens a lot more in this movie, and I hate it. But anyway, next person to come in is Invisible, right? The Invisible the, Man. The Invisible Man comes in next. That Oh, sort of. I do have a fun fact about that character. Oh, yeah, go. The Invisible Man in this movie is not the same Invisible Man. Oh, no, the, no, no. Oh, yeah, I from the that. books and the comic yeah. books. Yeah. Because they didn't he have did. the rights to use them. Oh, That's is that what, why? Yeah. So I have I think, here... I think Universal owns the rights to The Invisible Man. Well, I thought it was for a different reason. So I wrote down, uh, the character's name is Rodney Skinner, and that's an original character yeah. because he's not in any Invisible Man book. In the movie, he explains that the Invisible Man killed himself. He dies. Yeah. So he's from The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. And in that book, The Invisible Man dies at the end. So I thought that just lined up. And they were like, well, oh, well, this they, is why. They made it work. But that's interesting that you say that. That's like yeah. Because if they wanted to, they could have just said, oh, I survived or whatever. Because they do the they, There's a lot of hand-waving going on in this mm-hmm. movie where they're just like, yeah, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? Because in the comics, the Invisible Man is named Holly Griffin. And it says that, you know, he was a skilled research scientist who discovered how to make people invisible and stuff like that. So, Invisible Man, you know what that means, right? What does that mean? It means it's time for Nudity Minute. Oh, uh, well, he's... Obviously naked because so, he's not wearing any clothes. Yep. Nudity Minute is our segment where we talk about if there's nudity in this movie. And the Invisible Man is naked the entire movie. And he reminds us constantly that he's naked the whole movie. That's true. Because it's not one of those situations where it's like the Invisible... Invisible Woman. Yeah, it's not like uh, Invisible Woman where from Fantastic Four where she has a special suit that goes invisible with her. No, this is classic Invisible Man rules. Only you can be invisible, your clothes don't be invisible, which means right. you got to be naked the whole fucking time. And there are a few times throughout the movie where he has clothes on, or, like, he'll slap some, like, is it makeup? It's like face so paint. He, yeah, it's like white face paint, so you can basically see his face. And he puts on sunglasses, a hat, a coat. Yeah. I don't ever see him put shoes on, but he's not, like, floating around, so I guess he's wearing shoes. He's not in this movie that much, also. Mostly because he's invisible. They kind of get away with that a lot. He might actually be in the movie quite a bit, and we just don't know it. Ooh. I mean, he does do some stuff that you you find out later. Yeah. As soon as we meet him, he's already like, yeah, my penis is cold. And he's kind of like, (laughs) he's kind of an annoying dick. Oh, he's such a dick. Yeah. I think it's really convenient that when he puts on his face makeup, he puts it on, like, in the backs of his ears and on the back of his neck, just so, like, they don't have to use the special effect. Like, that's an actor like, that they like just painted white. Often, yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> now that I've got some more caffeine left. No, all right. Okay, So now that he's gone, I just want to ask you guys how you're doing. He'll probably edit this out. But if he doesn't, this is going to be really weird. Oh, baby, it's going to be okay. So the next character we meet comes in is, I believe, Nina Harker? Mina Harker? Mina, yeah, 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 the vampire lady. Vampire lady. We don't know so, she's a vampire lady yet. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mina Harker is from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Have you ever read that book? I own it. I have not read it, though. I do, too. I think it's right behind us. It's somewhere in this house. I have read Frankenstein, but that's not relevant. No, he's not in this. I wish he was. Yeah, right? I actually read, like, half of it. It's not a super easy read because it's not a straight narrative it's the whole thing is told in like journal entries from different perspectives it's i'm pretty sure it's more like older english too so it's like odd yeah yeah i mean it's like 100 years old or whatever so in dracula mina and her husband 
Oh, oh fuck. Jonathan or something? I don't I know. can look it up real quick. It's not important. He's not in this. <laughs> He's dead. Uh, they fight Dracula, right? With the help of Van Helsing, who's like this uh, super badass kind of priest guy, right? Right. And by the end of Dracula, Mina gets not bitten, but she gets fed Dracula's blood. And it doesn't make her a vampire, but it makes her like have a disease uh, that they call vampirism. And so Dracula can kind of mind control her. And also, unintentionally, Van Helsing can use Mina to track Dracula's whereabouts. And that's kind of how they catch him at the end. But by the time, at the end of the movie, when they kill Dracula, Mina's fine. She's not a vampire. So in this version, I guess, so they're implying that she got bit by Dracula and she got turned into a vampire. Yeah, and she does show, like, the bite mark later. Yeah. Also, they mention, or M mentions, that she's there because because of her experience with Dracula, and he says that, that Dracula is a former member of the League, which I thought was a cool little Easter egg, even if it's not true. Yeah, I like, I like the idea of it. Oh, sure. Next character we meet, actually, it's probably out of order, but we meet Captain Nemo, who is from Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He's also in a couple more books. But that's pretty much what he's known for. He's known for like, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. They made a movie, right? I think Disney made a movie. Yeah, well, there's a Disney ride in Disneyland. I don't think that exists anymore. But it was there right. when, when Disneyland Yeah, and on the ride you get on, like, the Nautilus. Oh, yeah, that's in this movie, too, his submarine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His famous submarine. The submarine. Uh, you said you read this book? N- not 20,000 Leagues. Oh, okay. I, I know who Captain Nemo is, right, so I know yeah. about the Nautilus. Like, I know about it. I just oh, okay. haven't read it myself. Like I said, I, I didn't know. I, I thought he was Captain Ahab. Uh, also because they pair him with Ishmael, who is from Moby Dick. That's true. They did do so that. So there's a little bit of, like, cross-referential there. But, but they do call him Nemo throughout the movie, to be fair. Oh, yeah. And they also Oh, no, I'm an summary. idiot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the, the irony is that they paired him with Ishmael. Is that everyone we meet here? In this meeting, yeah, I believe so. And they're like, hey, we need to find, like, two more people to join us. Right. So they're sent off to someone's house, Dorian Gray. And you, you've read that book, you said, right? Yeah. He's basically, like, an immortal, cursed man. So Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray. So I I wish I knew you had read the book because I had <laughs> I read so many plot synopsis to get all the background information. Oh, give us the synopsis. I thought would be fucking necessary. I read the book like fifteen years wasn't ago. Wasn't so. necessary at all. But anyway, I mean, they explain all the all the important parts. Dorian Gray is like this. I can't wait to completely botch this, but Dorian Gray is like <laughs> this aristocrat, and as he's getting a portrait painted of him, he's talking to a fellow who's like really into hedonism, which is like where. You give in to all your pleasures because you were put on this earth to just experience pleasure and you don't you shouldn't have to experience pain or greed or anything like that. So you just do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, fuck morality, fuck right? Fuck morality and fuck everyone else. Just go have a good time, right? That's basically hedonism in a nutshell. And so he's like, Okay, sure, but somehow and maybe you remember better, but also this doesn't matter. He gets kind of a curse put on him. I think well, he sells his soul. That that probably sounds yeah. more right. So that he won't age and he can stay young and, and handsome because he's supposedly young and beautiful or whatever. He'll stay young and beautiful basically like his entire portrait. life. Right. And the portrait will age for him instead. But Sounds like a good deal. But. 
it doesn't make him immortal. Like it just means he doesn't know when he's gonna die, basically, because he's just getting old, and well, then he a, murders. A portrait some people, also right? can't really like die, though. That's still sure. But isn't it? I think he also he can never look at this portrait either. Well, in the movie, he can't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I didn't see whether he could or couldn't. I got the impression that he hides the portrait in the book because, like, he doesn't want to well, look at how ugly and old yeah, he is. And if there's a portrait like aging, like you know, guests are gonna think that's kind of fucking weird. Right. 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 So that's kind of his deal. We meet him, but in this version, he's like super immortal. He's like, oh, he's like getting hero. shot. He's and getting stuff. shot. He it's exaggerated. Care. But I mean, that's kind of again, and that's kind of the premise of this. Like all these characters. Like, this is all from the late 1800s to very early 1900s. The concept of superheroes wasn't a thing back then. No. So, this is pulling these old characters into modern time. And basically turning them into superheroes. Turning them into superheroes, exactly. So, so they get attacked when they're talking to Dorian Gray and by the bad guy who just happens to be there, right? There's a lot of just convenient, like, oh, this conversation's getting boring, so action scene, right? That happens a lot. Yeah. This action scene's not bad either, though. Like, this was actually kind of a fun one, too. No, 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 right. They get progressively worse. But, yeah, so there's a big shootout. You see, for whatever reason, Captain Nemo... Again, like, Captain Nemo, he's supposed to have, like, cool fucking submarines and cars. Yeah. He has a car that wouldn't have existed till like, the 1940s in, like, the year 1899. So that that's his shtick, right? He's got, it's, like, he's advanced like iron, technology, He's basically. basically Iron Man of, like, 1899. Yeah. Steampunk. Very, right? like, inventive. He has all this cool shit. Right. But then also, he's fucking swinging a sword faster than... Yeah. The bad guys, who all have, like, automatic rifles, by the way. Like, fully automatic. Yeah, which don't Before exist. World War One. Yeah, well, that's kind of the point, is that they've invented automatic rifles. Right. And Quartermain, Sean Connery, is like, oh my god, like, they have automatic rifles. That's not very sporting. That's not sporting. <laughs> anyway. But they, like, they pull their guns on Nemo, and then they tell him to draw his pistol, I guess, to be, like, honorable or something. That was weird. They're like, draw your pistol, and then Nemo goes, I walk a different path. And then, and then pulls out a sword and fucking kills everyone. That's kind of weird. And then he does that the entire movie. Just it, swinging his sword It was ridiculous, fast. but also, like, kind of cool. Like, oh, Nemo's badass. But that's not why he's there. So it's like, no. I don't get why that was necessary. But anyway, that's when they reveal that Mina's a vampire. She goes all vampire and a bunch of people. And then our next character shows up, Tom Sawyer. Which I thought was a super weird inclusion, but sure. Eh. I mean, again, this is, he's in the it's comic possible. book. So, yeah. right, right, okay, whatever. <laughs> he's like, I think he's chasing the bad guy. Yeah, he infiltrated. This version of Tom Sawyer works for the Secret Service, which is and here's the thing. Again, hats off to the writers to was it Alan Secret Moore. Service, or was he like a marshal? Secret something? Service. Okay. You know, but Tom Sawyer's from Mark's Twain, uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and then later Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and then like two or three other books. Tom um, Sawyer is like kind of a dick in those books, though. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's like the bully or yeah, whatever, right? Yeah, like Huck Finn's the good one. Yeah, exactly. But, so, Tom Sawyer is kind of a kid in the first one. The first one comes out in 1874. And then, in the later books, he's older. Like, it ages him a little bit. And then the last book he's in is called Tom Sawyer the Detective, I believe. Or Tom Sawyer Detective. I don't think I've read that one. I mean, I didn't know it existed. Again, I'm not really much of a book nerd. But it kind of makes sense that 20 years later from the time of that first book, that he would be in his late 20s, mid-30s. And is has a job in, with the Secret Service, going abroad, doing all this. It's blo- it's embellished, obviously. Oh yeah, like 
I guess he has to be like the best one, like the best yeah, detective. He's, like he's, like, he's doing rolls and stuff. He's got like a rifle and just shooting down bad guys. Like it, they just made him look like a badass yeah. secret agent. And it's kind of a subplot in this that he thinks he's a good shot, but he didn't shoot a single goddamn thing this entire movie. He's just wailing his guns. No one's getting hit. And then he's got a back and forth with Sean Connery about like... Who is bad, actually an excellent shot. Right. About how bad a marksman he is. But anyway, so we meet him there. And then the bad guy shows up. The Phantom. And so Phantom I, with an F. Phantom with an F. Because this is... And I, I, it took me a while to kind of track it all down and, and figure it out. But he's an amalgamation of two different characters. The first one being Phantomus from... Alain and Silvestre. All right. He is a French kind of thief, jewel thief, supervillain type deal. And he was in a ton of stuff from a bunch of novels to like comic strips to radio shows. He was like... An early supervillain. He was like the first supervillain for France, basically. All right. Uh, So he's a version of that, but he's also part... The Phantom from The Phantom of the Opera. That was what I thought he was based off of. I didn't know about the... Yeah. The French dude. Yeah, because the Phantom from the Phantom of the Opera, he's not like this super smart thief. He's like uh, a guy who haunts the yeah, opera. And he's very like theatrical and dramatic. Right, right, right. But that's, I, I guess it's it's the character of Phantomus with with just kind of like the visual look and the costume of, of the Phantom of the, the Phantom opera. of the Opera, yeah. So, comes in, makes a whole big announcement about his master plan or whatever. Very theatrically. Yeah. I kind of don't remember how they get out of that. They do another shootout. The Invisible Man has to get naked and rub all his makeup off. Which, unless if you have like a wipe somewhere, like you're not I getting all that getting makeup it all off and on. Like you just work. smear it all around. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like he gets it all off and goes full invisible and naked and naked. Well, he only ever wears like a trench coat, so he's like <laughs> he's like he's, a flasher. He's good, right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I forgot that Sean Connery is super annoyed with Nina, Mina for being oh, he's, a woman. He's like really sexist. He is. As soon as he walks in, I think I wrote he, down. What he's he like, said. "Oh God, please tell me she has a note that her husband's gonna be late or something like that." <laughs> oh, they get in the car and he's like, he "He's to, been he with women." With uh, I've I've been with women in my past exploits. <laughs> I can't do it for very long. Uh, and they are at best a distraction is what he says, which I think that's another Bond reference. Yeah. Because in every Bond movie, obviously, he's, he's, he's constantly yeah. getting distracted by all the sexy women. Yeah. He's always having sex with them all in yeah. the beginning and the end of all the movies. And he says, like, I've had many wives and many lovers. I'm not in the mood for any anymore or something like that. And which is like, if someone... Very presumptuous. Right, no, exactly. Like, if you were at work and you're like, hey, you've got to train this new person, as a, you know, and it's a woman. You and you go through like, hey, I have a girlfriend. Yeah, you're not going to be like, well, listen, I've worked with a lot of women and I've had sex with them all, and it's just a distraction. You, you'd get fired. Like, you, you can't say that. You cannot... And he doesn't get any nicer to her either as the movie goes on. No, he's just a, he's a dick to her. Everyone's a dick to her. This movie's kind of sexist, but moving on. That's appropriate for the times, I guess. I think this is how they get away with it. Yeah. So they're like, oh, we need to get our next person. And then they just cut to Paris. And then we find out our next person is... Oh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I thought you were going to say it. Oh, no. I was, trying, I was doing like an air drum roll Gotcha, thing. gotcha, gotcha. So, you've read this book, you said? Robert Louis Stevenson's Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Yeah, I mean, and the concept's super simple. It's the scientist, he creates an elixir. When he drinks said elixir, he kind of loses himself and becomes... Obviously, he doesn't become, like, a big hulking monster like the movie portrays it. 
Yeah, I don't know how they describe it in the book because I think what they did is a reverse engineering here because Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is obviously the basis for the Hulk. Right. It's the And they same. made him very much like the Hulk in this movie. Well, that's the thing. The Hulk invented the look, and then this is reverse engineering that Yeah. and going, okay, well, now we're going to make Mr. Hyde look like a Hulk, which is like, I mean, he looks just like, like a Hulk. Giant. He's just he's super huge. CGI Hulk monster. Yeah, so I what I looked up was, or what I saw is that he created a serum to mask his evil urges, because I guess he's kind of like a pervert, uh, but instead creates an alternate personality that manifests them Which into is, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, so he's like, he's he's a monster in the sense of like, he's like just an evil, terrible, wicked person. He's not a monster yeah. in the sense of he's, like, jumping off of buildings and... Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, like I said, they, I feel like they took that from Hulk. Right. Which, sure, they're doing that to all these characters. Yeah, I mean, you know, why they're not? making them superpowered and why stuff. Why not? But <laughs> this is where the movie starts falling apart for me because I, I thought up to this point it was going really, really well. And then here, they just cut to Paris and Mr. Hyde is, like, jumping from rooftop to rooftop. Yeah, there was no introduction to him. It was just no. already happening. It was already happening. I felt like we skipped a scene, exactly. And then he's wearing a ridiculously large top hat. Okay, so, and then after the scene is over, Tom Sawyer's holding the top hat, and it's like the size of a mini fridge. Right. And he's like, looking at it like, what a weird thing to have. Yeah, no shit, you yeah, put it, it in the movie. It's a weird thing to have. Because Does the he whole just, point, like, keep it on him just in case? Well, he doesn't keep a change of clothes because all his clothes no, is ripped. his clothes rip off. So, yeah. yeah, so those are his normal human Dr. Jekyll clothes. And then they rip off, and then he goes and he gets his fucking 100-gallon <laughs> top hat, puts that on, and just starts running amok in Paris. Maybe the top hat had some of the elixir, too. <laughs> Just dab it on here. Spilled some on it. So at least I look sharp while I'm jumping from rooftop to rooftop and Almost naked. Yeah, no, basically. And I get what they're doing, but, like, at least the Hulk is still handsome when he's the Hulk. Like, well, I mean, his face is still, he still looks, it still looks like a face. This guy has, like, elephantitis, you know, where, like, like, half of his head is large. like the abomination. Yeah, and, like, one of his eyes is bigger than the other one. And well, he's supposed he's like to look like that, though. He's supposed shirt. to be, like, a terrifying monster, so it I, was, I get it. It was super creepy, and I think... Because the CGI in this movie isn't super great. No, but it was it, also 2003. Eh, it's late enough. No excuses, I, mean, I feel. Have you seen The Mummy Returns? Have you seen the CGI in that? No, 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 no. I mean, at this point, this is a big budget movie, by the way. It was like 150 million. Oh, well, so, then I guess in that case, there's no excuse. Wait, let me just double check that real quick. Well, oh no, I'm sorry, it was 78 million. Uh, so it, it is. Still... It's medium budget, so it almost explains why the CGI the is not great. S- here's the thing: because the CGI was like almost on the same level as the first Ghost Rider, which came out years later. First Ghost Rider came out like two years later, 2005, right? I think it was 07. Oh no, I think you're right. I feel like we're gonna go back to Ghost Rider a lot in our conversations. Yeah, I can't wait for that to be over. <laughs> so this is the part of the movie where they're chasing down Mr. Hyde that they start with the one-liners. And then at this point, from the here on in... The one-liners were cheesy, too. At, at this point in, there's no more normal dialogue. Everything's a one-liner. They're only speaking in one-liners. It's almost like the movie started like being made by different people at this point. Yeah, it feels like a different movie. Yeah. Because by the end of the movie, I forgot that I was enjoying the beginning. Because the, the introduction was really good. I'd put the introduction like... If the introduction was like a pilot to like a series or something, I'd be like, oh, all right, yeah. I'm on board. Yeah, it almost feels like that because on TV series, episodes are made by different people sometimes. Yeah. And so some episodes are just better than others, some are worse. Right. So, but I mean, this is supposed to be all one big it's effort. It's supposed to be you know? cohesive. Yeah. 
So they catch him in the weirdest way because he's shooting at like the various chimneys around oh, Mr. Tom Hyde. Sawyer's like shooting and well, no, Tom Sawyer's missing. Yeah, he's oh, he's doing a terrible job. <laughs> Sean Connery is the one that he's like. Yeah, he's oh, like if, if you can't do it in one shot, then don't shoot at all. Yeah, and he's like, I'm not trying to shoot him. That's not good. Not, <laughs> he's shooting fucking the chimneys around him to like get him cornered. It's almost like a like a video so, game. Yeah, yeah, right. So that he falls in a net that they had set up off screen. Just a giant ass net. Just a big ass net, and we're like supposed to believe at some point they got there early enough. Set up this whole thing, studied a map of Paris so they knew where to go. You know, it would have been nice to see, you know, just anything Any of that. that they just had a plan. Any of that. No, exactly. So, and then they get, so they get him to fall in the net. The net takes him into the, the, the boat. What's the boat called? The Nautilus. One more time. Nautilus. The Nautilus. Okay, cool. I forgot the part where they introduced the Nautilus where this submarine, so it's a submarine that's right. like the size of like a small cruise ship. It's massive. It's ridiculously large and we're supposed to believe that they went they were like in the docks of london which is not in the sea like it's inland there's right. a river there's the the somehow Thames the submarine river. got there though you can't take a cruise ship up to london right no and it's a big problem with me because later on they take it to venice and it's like yeah, that was ridiculous how is that thing navigating does not the fit in venice i've been to venice how does it make Nothing a single fits. turn no, no, it's it's super fucking long, and it goes underwater, and you're just supposed to kind of believe it. Uh, the CGI falls apart there, too. The tiny but... gondolas barely fit in the damn... Yeah, no, 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 right. So they put him in there, and finally we meet uh, Mr. Hyde. He says a couple one-liners. He turns back into Dr. Jekyll. I think the only thing I like about this character in this movie is that he is constantly fighting with his other personality, and right. when he looks in the mirror, he sees, he sees the other person. He sees the other guy. Yeah. And the other guy's like almost like taunting him, even yeah. calling him like a pervert and stuff. Right. Because again, it's not like he's an actual different being. No, it's just his. It's, the it's worst, manifest- parts, the yeah. worst parts of him are manifested. Right. It's a physical manifestation of like his most evil parts that he's been trying to like restrain. By the way, nobody in this movie is like a good person, it seems like. Oh, no, all these people suck. Yeah. Yeah, there's a scene where Dr. Jekyll is, like, perving out on on Mina, which, I mean, again, (laughs) talk about not doing a female character justice. All she does is, in this movie, I mean, she does some stuff, but people are just constantly, like, being misogynistic to her. Right. And then this guy just, like, perving on her. And then he's but like the staring thing she at her. Does is actually kind of badass and stuff. Well, no, she's a badass vampire. Yeah. <laughs> so she's more than capable. It's just right. kind of shitty how they treat her in this movie. So he's perving out on her, and and Mr. Hyde is in his subconscious going like, "You can't have her. She'll never go for you. You're a little pussy." And it's like, "You need a drink. Drink the elixir." And he's like, "No, yeah. I'm never drinking it again." Yeah. Yet he keeps it on him at all times. So they come up with a plan, and they sort of discover that the Phantom wants to blow up Venice in order to kickstart his world war, right? Right. So they're like, all right, we got to go to Venice, and they get there really fast because the Nautilus is super fast. Cut to Venice, and everyone is like, they're over in St. Mark's, um, they're in St. Mark's Plaza. Okay. And, like, we're supposed to believe the entire city's there, which they don't fit. Again, I've been to Venice, that's like saying, like, all of Orlando is just hanging out at, like... Church Street. Right. Like, it, it's just not possible, right? And so they're there, and they're like, oh, there's bombs under all the buildings, which 
okay, sure, there was time to do that. The bad guy did it all. Right. There's bombs everywhere. His plan is to set them all off. What do we do? It was do? like a domino effect that they were trying to set off. Yeah, so he's like, what do we do? And then one building blows up, and they're like, oh my god, it already started. And then the next building blows up, and they're like, it's a domino effect. So what we need to do is blow up a building ourselves, and then it'll stop the domino effect. How is, yeah, what was the logic That was there? the plan. I think that, but like... I think How I think does the, blowing up another building like interrupt that exactly. I think the the logic was that like all the bombs are connected. So imagine a big. Are fuse. they all on like one fuse? Yeah, so they're like on a fuse, and if they blow up a building themselves before the other buildings get there, then the fuse has been cut. Not a good plan, guys. Oh, horrible <laughs> plan. <laughs> Their plan to save Venice is blow up a little bit of Venice, right? This whole fucking second act scene. There's just shoot buildings. A at it? Yeah, yeah. Tom Sawyer and Quartermain, Sean Connery, are going down in the car from, you know, the futuristic car. By the way, again, you can't drive a car in any of it. None of it. There's no cars in Venice. There's no space. There's no, there's no room because it was designed for not to have roads, right? Only canals because canals it's all on water. Tiny walkways. So the walkways, it's constantly you turn left, you turn right, you go up a step, you go down a step, you go over a bridge. You, there's no way you could ever drive a car, much less this car, which seems to be 25 feet long, can seat six people, and they're just driving it all up and down Venice. While there's a submarine in the canals. Like at 80 miles an hour. Yeah. Oh, oh, and that too. They they don't park outside of Venice because cruise ships do go to Venice. They have a big tourism problem there where all the cruise ships let out in Venice and then there's no place to stand because there's so much tourism. Uh, That's what happened when we went. We didn't go. We drove there. Again, that's why I know you can't drive to Venice. You got to get out of your car, park it somewhere and then get on like three different boats and then you're in Venice, right? Very inaccessible. Right. But those cruise ships are obviously out in, in the sea. They're not inside the canals and they take what's it called the nautilus <laughs> the nautilus they take the nautilus in the canals it's scraping up against buildings and bridges and shit because no fuck, it's too no, fucking big yeah no duh like why did you why did you just park and take the car or something probably would have been faster because all right don't they also have it like taking turns in the canal and stuff does the yeah. submarine bend like no exactly because the thing is like a hundred some feet. No, it's more than a hundred feet long. It seems like it seems it, like it's one hundred fifty feet. It's massive. It's huge. It's like literally, literally the size of a cruise ship. Right. No goddamn sense. Anyway, that's when it's kind of revealed that the, that they have like a hundred person crew. By the way, and I'm like, they're all just what? Yeah. Why don't these people help? What are they doing? Why it's, are we relying on the, six people? They're to just save sitting the day? in the sub doing. They're just not doing nothing. Fuck all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we skipped the part. Where do they start? Uh, sowing all the seeds of doubt. Oh, when he's like, oh, somebody stole my... Yeah, yeah, So on the way to Venice, sorry, uh, and I thought this part was kind of good, honestly. There's there's some interactions because it takes several days to get there because it's right. 1899 or whatever. There's Even some like, the fuzz, banter between the Yeah, and there's and some scenes to make you think that there is some um, foul play at hand. And it sets up to make you think that it's the Invisible Man because he's yeah. missing, basically. One of Dr. Jekyll's elixirs goes missing. He assumes that the Invisible Man took it. We don't see the Invisible Man anywhere. Also, he's invisible, so... Yeah, well, the only thing... We see him for a minute when he is inside Quartermain's uh, room. 
and Quartermain turns off the light and, like, punches him or whatever. And then he goes, I want you dressed at all times, or it's my boot up your ash. I forgot about that scene. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the best line in the movie yeah, right Yeah, you there. don't want a naked man just hanging out in your room. What's the thing also? Back to our nudity minute for a second. When he's fighting people, he's bare-ass naked. Yeah. That's not how you want to be in a fight. No, it's not comfortable. Unless he's got, like, some really small package down there that you don't have to worry about. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, the fight scene from Borat where they're just both naked and they're, like, fighting in the corridors and the elevators. <laughs> and they're just, like, their dicks are just wailing around hitting each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so back to the Venice scene. They're riding around in the fucking car. They're shooting at... Somehow a thousand troops show up for the bad guy. No one gets hit. There's there's no stakes in this movie at no, they're all. They're basically stormtroopers. They can't fucking hit well, anything. My point is there's no stakes because buildings are collapsing. Nobody cares. Yeah. Like, they're like, no one gets hurt. They're just like, hey, let's make a cool action set piece yeah. in Venice. What they're trying to do is get the car to the building that they need to blow up in order to stop the chain of events from happening, right? And so Tom Sawyer drives the car into the building. Didn't have to do that. The car flips on top of him. Yeah. And he gets out. But they already fired the missile at the car. Oh, shit. Because he shot like a flare up. You're right, you're right, you're right. So, car flips over him. He he shoots a flare up in the sky, and then the missile comes down. Because that was the... On his position. Yeah, because that was the... That was a signal. Yeah. The building blows up. He's still inside. And the next time we see him, he has one scratch on his forehead. That's it. Oh, yeah. All right, so all that happens. Then at the end, they're like, all right, so um, is everybody okay? We find out that during this battle, Dorian Gray's gone missing. He's just missing in action. Right. And Invisible Man also nowhere to be found. He's been missing since before they got there, yeah. though. And, um, they, that's why they assume that he's They assume that he's, guy. like, betraying them. They ask, oh, where's Tom? And then... They're like, oh, where's Tom? And then that very moment, he shows up and he goes, he'll live to fight another day. Another thing about this movie, nobody ever looks like they're hurt. That's what I'm saying. There's no stakes. Yeah. Because... There's, like, barely any blood. Like, even, like, as far as, like, scratches and stuff goes, there's barely anything. Yeah. There's a scene later where Captain Nemo gets punched so hard that he goes flying maybe a hundred feet. And he just gets up. Hits a wall. He gets up and just keeps talking like nothing happened. (laughs) And he's not Superman. Like, he's just supposed to be a normal man. He's just a normal dude that's... Yeah. A badass swordsman and right. an inventor, I guess. So meanwhile, Quartermain finds the Phantom in, I don't know how. Venice is very large, by the way. It's like a city. Yeah, so he just navigate fu- it like it's nothing. Yeah, oh, exactly. And actually, I got lost in Venice when I went. It's, it's pretty difficult. Like, I needed a map in my phone, and it wasn't even the 1800s. So, <laughs> But he finds him in a courtyard. What I thought was funny about this is, like, Quartermain's supposed to be, like, an amazing hunter, and the Phantom is making so much fucking noise. They could have cut the noise out, too. They left the noise in. He's, like, going through the bushes, and he's just like... <laughs> and Quartermain's like, oh, is he over there? Like, where is he? You're the hunter, dude! Like, he's not trying There's to be... There's clearly something there. And, he keep... and meanwhile, the Phantom's trying to, like, throw off his voice. Somehow that works. He's taunting him about his son. Apparently, Quartermain lost his son on a mission. He died. That's all you need to know. And then at this point, he ends up finding him, uh, knocks his Phantom of the Opera mask off. And then you find out. It's M from the beginning of the movie. 
Is this where we find out who M is? Or do no. We, no. No, no, and that's why... We don't find that out until later. Until the very, very end. You don't find his true identity until the end, which I thought was a waste. Now, this would have been a best, the better time to do it. Right. This movie, what it does a lot, too, is it just like, keeps on giving you twists on top of twist on top of twist. It does it too much. Right. The more twists you do, the cheaper they get. Right. Because it's like, well, then actually this guy, but then actually it was that guy. And so at this point in the movie also, simultaneously, Dorian Gray makes it back to the boat. And he's in a room with Ishmael, and Ishmael's like, oh, you're back. Who else is back or whatever? And then he goes, oh, Skinner, who's the Invisible Man, he's betrayed us, whatever. And Dorian Gray goes, not Skinner, me. And then shoots him. Like, (sighs) why would you... Why would you just announce it? Because also, Ishmael survives. Just do it and shut up. Just shoot him. And then walk away. That would have been better because you don't have to spoon feed it to the audience. Because in the next scene, Ishmael survives, goes outside, and tells the League it's Dorian. He's the bad guy. And then dies. And then they go inside and then they get a video from Dorian and... (laughs) And M, yeah. So that part I thought was kind of funny because the League is all huddled up. They get a video, which doesn't exist. It's a record player. They put a like the needle on it, but there's like a projector also. So That's not a thing that exists. That's not a thing. But also, nothing exists in this movie. So. Right. And then M explains his master plan in true Bond fashion and then calls himself out on it in also true Bond fashion. He's like, well, I wouldn't explain my master plan. If I wasn't about to kill you. Right. And then there's like a secret recording on the tape that makes some bombs go off. Which is sort of foreshadowed because um, Dr. Jekyll's like, I hear like this noise in my head and it's... And he's like, you guys don't hear that? It's like the secret track that makes... I thought it was going to make him turn into Mr. That's I. what I thought, too. I thought they were gonna, yeah, like, they're going to have for. him rampage and shit, kind of like the Hulk on the Avengers. And the Avengers. So that was making me think that. And then I thought, oh, my God, did the Avengers kind of take, like, its loose plot from LXG? <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of stuff from the Avengers kind of feels like this, right? Yeah. Where they're on a boat. They're on a big boat. Let's get this team of superheroes together. Put on a big boat. Let's go stop the bad guy. They don't get along. There's a lot of discord and they're sowing kind of seeds of of doubt, doubt, right? And then part of the bad guy's plan is to lock him up with Dr. Jekyll or the Hulk. So at that point, I'm like, oh, my God. That sound is going to make him turn into Dr. Jekyll, and they're going to have to fight Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. Or, sorry, Mr. Hyde, and they're going to have to fight that's Mr. What I Hyde. I was like, did that Joss would've... Whedon watch this movie and, like, I can do that better? Yeah, that's what I thought happened. <laughs> and I would have liked that better, obviously, because it worked better in the Avengers right. when he turns into Hulk, and now they're fighting amongst each other. Yeah. But, no, instead it's like, oh, there's a high-pitched noise that and nobody some... can really hear, and it causes right. an explosion. And then some bombs go off. That they fix two scenes later. So, not really important. Because Dr. Jekyll drinks the thing, turns into Mr. Hyde, and then fixes it. Fixes it, or saves the sub. He pulls the the fix-it latch, right? He goes, (laughs) swims underwater, pulls the latch, the whole boat is better now, and then they patch up the holes later. And then, like, all the crew's, like, being seen medically and stuff. Yeah, so, again, there's a lot of action scenes, no stakes, there's a lot of action scenes that don't mean anything. But they could have put an action scene here that meant something. Right. That's how action should be written. An action scene should move the plot forward. Right. It should at least change the status quo. So, like, the end of the action scene, the situation shouldn't be exactly the same as before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And in this, it's just random In this action. movie, the action, all it does is pause the plot. No, no, for sure. So, <laughs> once all this is over, I thought it was funny that the League just kind of waltzes out of Venice that is completely fucking destroyed. Maybe, like, half of Venice just 
came down rumbling. Again, really? we're supposed like to believe. Happened. Oh no, we're supposed to believe nobody got hurt because they're all at the at the piazza, right? Because as we know, everybody in a city just hangs out in one spot, and that's it. They don't go yeah. home at night. Oh, we forgot. I'm sorry, we forgot the best one liner. Um, before the bombs explode, Dorian Gray goes bomb, bomb boy. <laughs> he looks at the camera. <laughs> all right. He looks at the camera both in the sense of, like, breaking the fourth wall, kind of, and also, like, he's looking at the camera in this recording that they made. Yeah, he, he literally just says, Bon voyage. And then that's it. I'm like, like yeah. I just imagine when they're making the video, they're like, ooh, 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 wait, 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 we got to start over because I've got a really great one-liner I want to throw at them. Bon voyage. Which is incredibly lame. There's actually a villain in The Incredibles named Bomb Voyage that uses bombs, and that was less lame than this. Oh my god, that's right. <laughs> uh, so, they leave. Fuck Venice, right? They don't give a shit what happens to Venice. But <laughs> yeah, fuck Italy, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> One of the coolest towns I've ever been in, but... So, I just have her in here, snow part. So, they end up... Uh, snow part. This is the snow part of the movie. It gets, it gets downhill from here. So, they uh, get a Morse code oh. message from the Invisible Man, who actually has been in like spying on the bad guys this whole time, and snuck on their boat, and is telling them where to go. Which... That was kind of clever. I'll give that him credit was clever, for that. Yeah, that it was, turns out you know yeah. he's an annoying dick and stuff, but he's not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um. So they go to like Russia. They go somewhere like Siberia. Did. He tells them to meet him in like a cave there. Yeah. How does and he know so, the coordinates for a cave in like? I thought that nowhere? because also this man doesn't use any modes of transportation. He just walks everywhere because he's invisible. Right. So he can't. There can't be a, an invisible man. On a bicycle or like a motorcycle. Oh, that'd be weird. That'd also, be motorcycles weird. didn't exist. At this point, they make up whatever they. They're just like, oh, the thing, this thing that we need, it exists. I, I own it. Here it is. You know. <laughs> because I'm Captain. Nemo. I'm Captain Nemo. Exactly. So this man, we're supposed to believe that this man walked out to like in the snowy desert, naked, completely naked, and we know this because when he gets there, he's like, I need to remind you guys that I'm naked and therefore I'm cold. You would have been dead. Yeah, that's like, like sub-zero totally temperatures. Totally dead. And then so he gets there. First thing he does is grab Mina's ass. Remember? He that's, sexually assaults her. Before he even says anything. Nope, yeah, just walks up. He's, he's like, oh, her. I've been waiting weeks to do that. Yeah, he gets slapped. And then he uh, reminds everyone that his penis is cold. Of course. Because he's naked. Yeah. So <laughs> In case you didn't know he was naked. Uh, yeah, here, right. Here's a reminder. Here's, here's our eighth reminder in this movie that this man is naked. So then they come up with their plan. They're like, oh, there's a factory here. They're making bombs. They're making everything. And they stole something from each of us. They stole like a DNA sample, like a piece of skin from the Invisible Man, the blood from Mina the Vampire. Uh, they stole the serum from Dr. Jekyll. Right. I think that's Basically, it, right? he's going to recreate the League, but as... Villains. Right, and guys like super soldiers and stuff like that. But then he says something like, oh, like the League was never actually a thing. There was never people in the League before you guys. He yeah, I thought that. that part was dumb because that was what I liked about the first 30 minutes. Yeah. This idea that all these other literary characters that aren't in this time period were also in the League, like the Three Musketeers, yeah. Dracula. Like, and that's why you were saying earlier, like, it'd be, it's cool if Dracula was in the League, yeah. even if that ended up not being true. Like in a previous version of right. the League. Instead, they're like, oh, we made all that up. It doesn't exist. Which kind of cheapens it. Yeah, no, obviously. Just, just exactly, for the sake yeah. of trying to throw another twist in. Exactly. So this is the part where I'm like, this is a brand new movie to me. I've always stopped it way before this. But so they go to the factory. Again, a lot of hand waving in this. Their scientists can just take a skin sample of these invisible men and make their own invisible men in an hour. Yeah. 
Huh? We can make more vampires with just a little bit of blood, and we can make another Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with just this serum. We'll just reproduce. That's not how science you works. Know, it would have been like <laughs> a little bit better, but it kind of would have ruined, like I guess, the whole plot of like trying to stop World War One. If like they're like after they find all this out, like you know they're kind of defeated or whatever, and there's like a time skip where like a few years later, all of this stuff starts coming up. Like an Endgame. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Like, instead of just like, oh, hey, you know, it's been like a day, but, you know, we already have another serum, already have more serum for Dr. Jekyll. We've already recreated this shit. Like, yeah, no, right, because that that kind of thing like takes have some, time. some sense of, and like, instead, time passing. Right, instead they do it in an hour. Yeah. You know? At this point, it's just mindless action that doesn't do anything, right? No. These people are, you know, uh, Sean Connery's shooting at people. They're Mr. basically Jekyll. storming the bad guy's base. Yeah, and then and then we get a couple more fights with different. Did we already find out M's identity by this point? This happens now. Okay. So there's a fight with Doctor Jekyll and like a random stooge who takes this formula that they've recreated in an hour, and he like chugs it like a like a good like. And he's like, oh, it. don't drink the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> and he turns into like an even bigger Mister Hyde, and he's he hideous. looks grotesque. He looks like also the CGI is so bad. He looks video game. Yeah. It looks super video game. At least Mr. Hyde was, like, passable. Like, PS3 level video game. Eh, I'd say PS2. PS2, there we go. <laughs> the Mr. Hyde looks a little bit better. So he goes Mr. Hyde, and they start fighting or whatever. That's when we he kicks the shit out of Captain Nemo, and he And flies. Captain Nemo's like, oh, shit, that no guy's too strong. <laughs> oh, uh, also, Captain Nemo fights a bunch of machine guns again. There's like four people shooting at him, and he's like, "Pachu, pachu, pachu, like a Jedi." Pachu. No, exactly like a Jedi with his regular sword. <laughs> um, at some point, Sean Connery says the game is on, which is a Sherlock Holmes reference. And then that's where we get and that's where we meet M again. He walks in, talks to M, and M reveals. Actually, he just says, "You're Professor Moriarty, Moriarty which is the, the villain from that's like Sherlock's Sherlock biggest Holmes, villain." Yeah. yeah. Did you know that Moriarty is only in one book? Yeah. I did. Oh, okay, cool. But his presence is like... Yeah, they talk about him a lot, yeah. but he's only ever in that one book. Yeah, so he accepts that he is actually Moriarty, which, again, this reveal means nothing because there have been so many other reveals in this movie. It's, it was just like, so-and-so's a bad guy. Actually, so-and-so's a good guy. Actually, this guy's over here. Actually, yeah. we stole this. Actually, I'm the bad guy. Actually, I'm holding the gun. You know what I'm saying? There's just so <laughs> much of that that at this point, it's like, this is this guy's third identity at this point. Yeah. It's, who cares? They should have done this they the first time. They should have revealed it earlier. And then gone, oh, you're M? Or actually, you're, you know, Moriarty. And then that would have had a bit more weight to it. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. That would have been much... Instead, it's kind of at the end of the movie. Especially since, like, more people <sighs> We've... would know who Moriarty is rather than, like... Than M, yeah, the M exactly. or Phantom. Right. De- definitely more than Phantom. <laughs> we get a fight with Dorian Gray and Mina... Where there's a subplot that they were actually previously lovers for a short time. Yeah. Female it's not, character. Like important. Well, yeah, they got a female character. She has to be a lover of somebody, right? Right. So they and get into they, a fight. They get into a fight. She, he stabs her with a sword and leaves her there. Do you remember she, the one-liner he says? Yes. He goes, <laughs> I always wanted to nail you one more time. I didn't know it would be literally. Oh, God. And then he walks away. She also sits there and pretends to be dead. She's a fucking vampire, bro. Like, how? why would you think she was dead? I think he thought he stabbed her through the heart, but again, it wasn't a stake. It was a sword. It was a sword. And so she just hangs out there for two scenes or so, and then, like, two scenes later, gets up, pulls the sword out, and stabs him back. Like, 
it's just too many reveals, you know? <laughs> like, oh, I'm actually not dead! Conveniently, and there's so much conveniently in this movie, there's the picture of Dorian Gray just sitting there for her to pull up. Yeah, why was it? Uh, so I think, Was that his house? No, I think the implication was that he was blackmailed because the picture went missing earlier in the movie, but that wasn't clear. This movie spoons feeds a lot to the audience, but not the important stuff. So I think he... That's his motivation. Okay. Is that he, is he wants to recover his picture because if someone has the picture, then I think they control him or that's his life. Like if, okay. That's like his soul, basically. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. Too bad that wasn't explained. Shows while he's pinned against the wall, she shows it to him. And then he dies. And then he begins to age while the picture gets like its Younger, youth back. Yeah, and that happens in the book I saw. Yes. When he finally dies... He grows into his old, decrepit, regular self, and the picture goes back to being young. Which is another cool callback to the book. Like, yeah, 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 They did a good job with stuff like that. Sure, but it's almost like they're using characters that were compelling in their own books because they were well-written, and that way they don't have to do any of the hard work themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. At this point, uh, the last important scene is uh, they corner Moriarty... And between Tom Sawyer and Sean Connery, and that's kind of it. There's an Invisible Man fight, two naked men fighting. Well, Dicks are flapping. Isn't this while Tom Sawyer's fighting, like, a flamethrower dude? There's a flamethrower dude, but there's, there's, there's the another Invisible, invisible man, man. And then there's the there's the, a bad guy who took, the, like, a, a right. the, whatever serum they come, came up with. And so he's naked, too. Right, and then, like, he... I think Tom assumed it was Skinner, and then he goes, yeah. who said I was Skinner? Yeah. And he attacks him. Well, he holds him from behind, like, dick out, so... Yeah, so his dick's, like, on him. His dick's definitely on him. Um, he probably feels it. But anyway, cut forward. Moriarty jumps out the window, and glides is fine. Down. Like, he just glides, like, down, like, 50 What was after he, like, did he shoot Sean Connery? Did he stab him? He did something to hurt him. He stabbed him. him. He stabbed, he stabbed him. him. Yeah, yeah, he stabbed him. And then Sean Connery is like, there's a subplot in this movie where, oh, we mentioned it. Uh, well, the subplot comes back where Sean Connery is teaching Tom Sawyer how to fire a gun, basically. <laughs> and he's like, you gotta be patient, wait for your shot. And so it matches the scene in the beginning of the movie where Sean Connery shoots the guy running away. Yeah. Now Tom Sawyer does it. Because Moriarty's running away, and then Sean Connery pulls out his glasses and they're cracked. So he's like, oh, fuck, guess I can't shoot. I thought he couldn't shoot because he was like dying it showed him pull out his glasses and they were all cracked so oh, we just like God. put him away two reasons to so he, <laughs> okay so he he's like kind of coaching tom on how to do it he's like you're ready you can do it and then he he starts like kind of keeling over like he's dying but yeah. he was just fine a second ago yeah he got a very light stab i mean people are getting thrown up against walls tom sawyer had a building explode on him and he gets barely stabbed in the back and he's dead so uh yeah so they shoot moriarty and that's kind of the end of it. Uh, yeah, he dies, and then it shows Sean Connery dying, and then yeah. they cut to a funeral. Which, it didn't mean anything, because, for two reasons. One, they did so much foreshadowing that Sean Connery was going to die in this. They kept on talking about how, like, first of all, at the very beginning, he faked his death. There's a gravestone with his name on it. Yeah. Right? So people wouldn't come looking for him. Second, there was a scene where he's talking about, oh, like, an old, an old animal that knows he's gonna die or whatever then later he sees an animal who's old and just and he's like maybe it wasn't it's time yet yeah and I'm like okay we get it he's gonna die at the end of the movie like it's just so forced down your throat yeah uh, and then yeah and then so he dies and, and then he has end, a funeral in Africa and then yeah the whole league is there because I guess they're all friends now right there's no closure to anything no 
at all. And then Nemo's like, oh, <laughs> well, I'm going to go on another adventure if you guys want to come with me. And Tom's like, cool. Yep. Nobody else really says anything, but they all walk away. Also, at the beginning of the movie, he mentions a <laughs> passing joke where he's like, "Some the guy looking for him was like, oh, I thought you were dead. And he's like, well, you know, Africa a witch doctor die. put a curse oh, or put a blessing on me or yeah. something. And so Africa won't let me die. And then a witch doctor shows yeah, up. They they bury him in Africa, yeah. and then after they all walk away, a witch doctor shows up, does a bunch of chants and stuff, and then a storm rolls in, and then like Tom had placed his rifle on the grave. And it like catches fire? It starts like shaking, and then it just cuts the credits. So it's like, alright, well, that was like sequel bait. <laughs> yeah. That obviously that sequel never happened, and uh even if there was, I don't think Sean Connery would have wanted to come back for it. So that's the end of the movie. Now we can talk about all the fun stuff. Yeah, this movie's bad. <laughs> yeah. It starts off strong, too. It starts off really strong. It's just sad uh, to I see was it just super, kind of fall apart. Yeah, I was super excited in the first half hour. I thought, oh my god, is this movie actually good? And I just yeah, had no was, idea. Was it just, like, misunderstood? Yeah, that's what I thought. And I was like, oh my god, like, we found a hidden Ahead gem. Ahead of its time. Yeah, this is not a hidden gem. There's no real dialogue in this movie. It's all one-liners. Every single, like, TV trope you can think of just smashed into one. So this movie got a 17% Rotten Tomatoes. It pretty much deserved it. Budget of $78 million. So it's about a medium budget for a movie like this, I would say. Uh, maybe on the low end. Box office, $179 million. Plus, apparently it did really well on DVD and like uh, syndication rights and stuff like that. Like I said, I mostly just saw this on TV. I am I, Now that I saw the ending of this movie, I am positive. I've never sat down and watched it for real. I haven't either. <laughs> and I think I've attempted a few times. Yeah. Because, again, I recognize the entire first two thirds of the movie, but by the end, I'm like, I'd never made it this far. Like, act three, you're like, well, yeah. this, this is new? When they were in the snow, I'm like, nope, never seen this before. So, I don't know, man. I think, I don't think this is a property that was doomed to fail from the beginning. I don't think it was, like, unadaptable no, I think film. it had the potential to be really good. Yeah. And Because at first also- I thought, this, like I was saying earlier, I was worried about who is this movie for? Because in a comic book... You can make a comic book. They're not that expensive. You, you know, it takes four guys to make it. The hardest part is probably getting it published. Yeah. And then, you know, a company p- publishes it, and it's really not a huge financial risk so much, but a movie is. And so when you have something just so, so niche, like we were saying, like a superhero team-up comic book right. with literary characters in the turn of the century, the last turn of the century, like, that's a bit too niche, I think. And it... That is part of what hurt it. I thought it was really cool, but that is part of what hurt it right. because it assumes you know who these characters are. Yeah, but when you put it up against to a movie and you market it like this is the next big like superhero team up movie, but you have to be an English teacher to kind of yeah. like fully appreciate well, it. How would you feel if because most of these characters their rights are like they're open, like yeah, no, no, they're uh, in the public public, public domain. domain. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, how would you feel if if they made, like, obviously they were trying to make these characters into, like, almost, like, superhero versions of them? Right. What if they did, like, movies, like, based on those characters first and went, like, the MCU route with this? Do you I, think it would have been a lot better? No. I don't think so because I think the whole point of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is that that work has already been done for you in those books. Like, you right. you already familiar with those characters. But that's why it didn't work as a movie, though, because a lot of people that are just, like, going to watch an action flick, they're not going to be familiar with these characters. Right. That Exactly. I don't think it works because of that cross-section of fans. You know what I'm saying? If you had made this a little bit more adult, then maybe. 
because right. your this thirteen was year old toward like teenagers, yeah, right, exactly. Your thirteen year old kids aren't reading not the picture who, of Dorian Gray. No, you know I, I'm I mean? in the minority on that. Like, or some, I mean, some of these books might have been like required reading in some school curriculum, right? But like, like that's, Tom Sawyer, maybe. that's like high school though. Yeah, no, 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 but like yeah. these high school kids, like if you told me I didn't go out running to see Beowulf. Because it came out the same year in the same exact semester that we were studying that in AP Lit. And the reason is because I thought, this shit is boring. I don't want to see it on, you know, <laughs> the movie theater, too. With because- me, it was different because I had read Beowulf, like, the year before. So when, when the movie was coming out, I'm like, that looks like a cool, like, action version of, like, the long-ass poem I read in school. I mean, yeah, but... Also, it's like it's a badass Viking story. Yeah, but I'm just like, maybe Bale's not the best example, but my point is, I'm like a cool teenage kid in my brain. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go see something that it was required reading. Right. You know what I'm saying? So again, who is this movie for? I'm not going to go watch 10,000 Leagues Under the yeah. Sea. Yeah. 20,000. 20,000. Wrong number. My bad. <laughs> I think if you had made this a little bit more adult, maybe a little more nuanced, obviously better executed. The movie right. fails on execution across the board yeah maybe you know people more our age would be more interested because i think this is an incredibly interesting premise and i think you could get away with doing it well i think this property can get rebooted if someone maybe there was supposed to be a reboot oh uh, i saw the reason it didn't happen is because disney buyout disney bought fox as they were thinking about rebooting this in Disney, and maybe like, they do it, maybe they don't. Who knows? It's up in the air, but as far as we know, that's like it's dead and right. Water. Eventually, Disney's going to be like, "What else we got?" You know? Yeah. Alex, uh, eventually, they might scrape better. the bottom yeah. of the barrel, and yeah. But I don't know. I love the concept of it, and that's why I'm probably going to go check out the comics now. So, yeah, in I a sense, the movie succeeded in getting me interested in the. Yeah. I think that'd be fun. The property, at yeah. least. So let's move on to our next segment, Keep or Cancel. So this is where we uh, talk about the people in this movie and decide if we're going to keep or cancel them. I'm just going to go ahead and say it up top. This is just a fun little segment. We can't keep or cancel Sean Connery. Poor man just passed. Right. So instead... I would keep him anyway. I would have kept him too. I really like him. The man's yeah. a gem. I, you, something I, I think I really respect about him is you don't really see a lot of actors retiring. No. You know what I mean? And, and for one reason is because acting is like a... It's a gig job. So you get paid. You don't get any benefits. You don't get a retirement fund. No. You don't get health insurance. You get paid cash. And so if you're a good enough actor, it's not a problem because they're paying you millions of dollars. Right. But... If you just manage that correctly, you're yeah. fine. And also, it's not a job that you can age out of because if you're a good actor... There are roles, obviously, for older people. Sean Connery was acting up until, like, his, in his 70s. 70s. We, we said earlier he would have been 73 at this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, and you have actors, you know, you got your Donald Sutherlands and your Anthony Hopkins that are acting well into their older years. So I really respect that he's said, you know what? Fuck Hollywood. I'm done with it. I just want to hang out with my family and live a normal retirement and just grow old. Well, this movie had a lot to do with that decision. (laughs) This is famously the movie that kind of forced him into retirement. Not forced him, inspired him to retire. He's a big enough name that he could have bounced back from this. It was like one of those deals where like if you ever had such a bad day at work or you're just like, all right, I'm done, I quit. That happens to us like every day. We we, This is the only thing we we talk about. We usually don't (laughs) actually quit though. No, no, no. Also, we're not millionaires. If we were... We would have just been like, you know what? Fuck all y'all. I'm never coming back. Man, I'm sick of you idiots. Yeah. yeah. 
So I no, I really like that about him. What like movies do you best know him from, or what did you like most about Sean Connery? Well, I I'm a bit young to like really appreciate his Bond movies. There's only like six of them. I've seen like half of but, them um, or all of them. I mostly remember him from uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he played Indy's yes. dad. And that was a great role That's a for great him. movie. That's a great role. Talk about, again, aging into certain roles. Sean Connery obviously got famous from doing 007. Right. Who is a young, attractive, very capable super spy. And then by 1980, what is that, like 86 or 87 or 9 or something like that, when they do The Last Crusade? It was, I think, late 80s. Late 80s. Uh, and he's playing, like, Indian Jones' dad. And <laughs> he's a badass in that no, movie. No, it's a great movie, great role. Um, that's actually, that's my favorite Indiana Jones movie, actually, is Last Crusade. Yeah, it's, it's funny enough, it's the one I've seen the least. So I, I do need to rewatch it. One point in high school, me and a friend were watching all of the Bond movies. So... Okay. If you have a Bond marathon, they all kind of meld together. But honestly, you look back and he's probably the best Bond. And not just because he's like the classic, the originator. Like, he just has that. You, you, if you picture James Bond, it's easy to just to see that, a young Sean swagger. Yes, he has a swagger. He has something about Even him. in his old age. Yeah. Oh, no, the dude's awesome. Like, if I could age like him, for sure. Obviously, Daniel Craig, I think, is really cool, too. But I think if you had to make, like, a perfect James Bond, I think you'd pull Sean Connery from, you know, the late 60s and put him in one of these newer Bond movies. I think that'd be awesome. That, that'd be pretty cool, actually. You've never seen the new Bond movies. I take that back. No, but I have seen <laughs> the Pierce Brosnan ones. Oh, God. I watched Dragonheart a lot as a kid. That sounds super familiar. My That's the dad one where that he plays a knight. Actually, no. I think Kevin Costner plays a knight in... Ah, fuck. He has a... Sh- he, he, he gets hurt. There's a dragon. He has to slay the dragon or whatever. But the dragon saves him, and he shares his heart with him. Okay. It's kind of nonsense. But basically, they're, they're now connected. So if one dies, the other dies. Okay. And so they work together, and he has to protect the dragon. The dragon protects him and whatever, and I don't really remember how it ends. But Sean Connery plays the dragon. He plays the voice of the dragon. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I bet the dragon sounds very uh, distinguished. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's a theme in that that I'm sure you've heard because Universal uses it in all of their music in Universal Studios. It's from Dragonheart. I'll play it for you. All right. What about The Rock with uh, Nick Cage and Sean Connery? You know that he's sort of supposed to be playing James Bond in that? I've read about that where it's like yeah. it's like kind of like a secret Bond film. Yeah. It's where like, he's just uh, like an older in the, in 007 basically. The, right, right. Because in, in The Rock, Sean Connery's character is already in the jail and he's been there for a long time. Is he MI6 in the movie? And he's supposed to be like an MI6 or he's supposed to be like a British covert something. I don't, covert know, I don't know what they. I don't know what they say to get away with it. It's basically a Bond so, movie without them yeah. using the rights to Bond. Right. It's supposed to be like, well, what if Bond got captured and spent like ten years in jail and then helped someone break out, which is kind of a fun concept. But I haven't seen The Rock since I was like ten. Years I haven't old. seen it in a long time. I remember having fun with it though. Yeah. So. This isn't the only reason he retired. I, I read up the last like five movies he did were basically all critically panned. Didn't make a lot of money either. So he was just like on a like bad streak. He was on a bad streak. Also, before that, he had said no to some really big films. Gandalf. He Lord said no Rings, to Gandalf, which so, is why he said yes to this movie. Yep. So he said no. Um, Gandalf would have paid 
Or Lord of the Rings would have paid for that role. Only like 30 million. Fuck only? Yeah, not only is that a fuck ton, but <laughs> it was like, and then like 15% of gross or 10% of gross or something. Altogether, obviously, that those movies make a, made a lot well, of money. I'm sure he didn't think it was going to be popular because that's a movie. Get it. That's a movie based on an old ass book. He didn't understand the script when they gave him the script because, I mean, let's be fair, not a lot of people would. Lord of the Rings is a very complex book. It's no, very uh, complex. Book. It's very dense. Yeah. yeah. So altogether, that role would have made him four hundred and fifty million dollars. I don't know if that's what they paid. Ian uh, McKellen. Ian McKellen. Maybe he got a different deal. Ian McKellen ended up being a perfect Gandalf. Um, both, no, so. obviously. I don't look. And Sean Connery is great. I don't think he has the same acting chops as Ian McKellen. No, it's like it's, at it's all. different. <laughs> like not even close. But he also said no to the Matrix. He was the first choice for the Architect. That would have been interesting to see. It would have been interesting. I like that the Architect is kind of uh, not a household name. The, the actor. Right. Because he's supposed to be this computer program. So... Which, which I like, because you don't look at it and go, oh, hey, that's... That's Sean Connery. Yeah. yeah I thought that was That's James weird. Bond. Why, why is he in the Matrix? Yeah. So he was also confused by the script when he, when he was handed that, which, I mean, well, the Matrix works in film format. If you were handed a script... Yeah, and you he was also like an older man, it. too, so he's yeah. probably like, what the fuck am I reading? Yeah. If you were breezing through that script, you'd probably be like, I'm, I'm so lost. So he said no to that as well. By this point, he's like, all right, I'm going to say yes to the next big budget kind of, like, thing I don't get. It's And it's this. It's, it's happened to be it's this. It's League of Extraordinary <laughs> Gentlemen. They couldn't afford many other big-name actors. No, nobody else in the movie is really a big actor. Yeah. the guy. So the guy who plays Dorian Gray I have here, um, Stuart Townsend, he was actually the original cast for Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. He was recast by Viggo Mortensen a day before they started shooting. Oh, Fuck. And he didn't get paid anything. He like flew out and whatever. Didn't get paid. That sucks. He got he yeah, he really got the shaft. But after seeing this movie, I kind of get why he's he's not really a good actor. And I'm he's not a terrible like nobody in this movie is a terrible actor either though. Okay, but he's not Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn. True. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's that's almost an unfair comparison. Well, you see why right they right, went right, for right. Viggo, but Viggo is fantastic. I I thought that was so. There's two little Lord of the Rings connections here, but. So, Connery claims that the production of this film and the film's final quality caused his decision to permanently retire from filmmaking, saying in an interview, it was a nightmare. The experience had great influence on me. It made me think about showbiz. I get fed up dealing with idiots. All right. Well, strong words. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, so, he goes on and retires. Uh, died over the weekend. Age 90. Apparently, he was suffering from a little bit of dementia, they said. But otherwise... Like, I mean, good for the, good for him, you know, great career. Uh, next guy I want to talk about is Alan Moore, and we were sort of talking about this. Right. This guy is a comic book writer. He wrote Watchmen. He wrote Batman the Killing Joke. Have you ever read Killing Joke? I've read Killing Joke. It's one of the better. It's very short, but it's one of the... It's a very iconic Batman yeah, story, Yeah, too. it's a great Batman story. He wrote V for Vendetta. He wrote From Hell. He's a very well-documented total dick, right? Oh, yeah. He's very pretentious. He's... Well, I mean, in his defense, he is kind of a creative genius. You right. can give him credit for that. But that However, doesn't give you an excuse oh to be God. a dick. Dude's a total dick. He is an occultist and an anarchist, and you get that from all of his work. Oh, I, right? V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta is all about anarchy. Uh, Watchmen? Uh, Watchmen. Um, I mean, from hell. Have you seen that? I have not seen that. Or have you, I have you read, read the comic either? No. Uh, so, 
it, again, it should be pretty obvious from his work, but he also hates, famously, all of his film adaptations. There have yep. been four of Every them. Every single one. And he hates them so much that he hasn't seen any of them. Uh, he was involved in like the script process, and then when they hand him the script, basically he's just like, I hate this because it's not mine. You know, he's one of those. Yeah. And he then refuses to watch the movie. Then, like you were saying, he ended up lobbying to get his name removed from all these films. So he made no money off of the anything no, 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 that no. came he's, afterwards. He still makes money. He just doesn't want his name on it. The ones that came he after? He takes the paycheck. No, he, he Oh, he'll the take paycheck. the paycheck? Well, because he sold the film rights in the in the first place. Oh, true. Apparently, he didn't think it was going to be that big of a uh, deal to sell the film rights. He thought it would be kind of quick cash. Saying Which, that... Which, it was. Sure. Well, his point is that... He thinks that his films don't affect his comics, which is true, but people now are drawing comparisons, right? And I think yeah. he hates that. Okay. There was, he had a funny beef with um, Zack Snyder, director of Watchmen, where they asked Zack Snyder, they're like, you know that like Alan Moore, you know, hates your movie or whatever. And he's like, you know, I like to think that one day when he's got nothing to do, he'll pop it in the DVD and just be like, all right, it's fine. And then Alan Moore responded to them and and said something along the lines of like, he's fucking crazy if he thinks I'm ever going to watch this movie. I'm never going to watch it. Jeez. Dude's a dick. I'm sure we'll talk about that more when we talk about Watchmen. Because We're not talking about Watchmen. It, didn't, it doesn't I thought uh, commercially it was a failure. But the thing is like, it. okay, they set out to make Watchmen. They made it. With no... Like Watchmen the at the time. Bomb, okay, so though. at the time, Watchmen wasn't part of a series. They started making prequels later. Uh, so at the time they were like, this is the one book. We're going to make a movie for the one book and that's it. People liked it. It made, I think it, I don't think it bombed. I think it made some money, but it was a disappointment. I thought it made like not a lot. It, no, it did not make a lot of money, but I don't think it. I think it was an it's, expensive ass movie. I don't too. think it's a, I don't think we can call it a box office bomb. And therefore I don't think. It applies. I think, yeah, I think it's, it's a success basically. And I'd like to talk about it, but... I'd like to, too. I actually enjoyed that movie. Again, it's one of the very rare instances of one of these movies where they say, we're only going to make one. That's it. And they semi-did that well, so... I mean, budget was one, $138 million and box office was 185 Yeah, so I probably lost money, but I, again, I mean... <laughs> Not a bomb, though. Is it a bomb, you know? I guess that's, like, up in the air. And I think... And the movie is popular. People, people talk about it. I don't, you know... So it, it could have done really well on DVD. I don't know. Not the point. Not the point. Uh, yeah, his name, his name wasn't on not on Watchmen. Also, he it wasn't tries. Wasn't for Vendetta either. I don't think so. No, he tries his best to to make his comic books unfilmable. He does this on purpose because he doesn't want them to make a movie about it. For example, like in Watchmen, a lot of the story is told through newspaper clippings or like yeah. a, a chunk of it might be like a biography or like someone's reading like a the guy reading the comic uh, there's book. a comic within a comic exactly yeah. like they they do stuff like there is a lot of non-linear stuff going on the fact that they made a watchable movie from Watchmen in the first place is impressive, a, is impressive. and again that's why one well, of the reasons I think it's a success the thing is the movie was I might get shit for saying this but like that movie was almost like a it almost seemed like he took like each frame of the comic and made a scene out of it. Yeah. Up until like the ending where it changed. Yeah. But it was almost like a one to one. Right. Yeah. And, and and there is its, its parts like Watchmen works really well on the page for certain reasons. Right. Um. But on film, it seems a little too stylized. And I no, I mean that's my that's one of my well, favorite parts about. Watchmen. That's what a lot of people didn't like I, about it. Well, I I really like Zack Snyder's eye. I think if he can do anything, he's a visual storyteller. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, you know, his 
his scripts might not make a whole lot of sense and there's weird things in execution but like visually i mean he's got that part down packed anyway not the point Yeah, we're getting off topic but so you know he is a creative genius i said this but like I'm leaning towards cancel him. He's kind of a dick. <laughs> Alan so Moore. what do you? Yeah. So like, where do you? Yeah. What do you want? No, like to I, get more stuff out of him, or do you say, bro, like, calm down, bro, calm down, like, yeah, don't like, be a dick. Like, I don't care if you're a creative genius. Don't be an asshole. Also, did you like V for Vendetta, the movie? That was an R list too because I consider that a success, and it, it was very popular. I I enjoyed that movie, and yeah. I enjoyed it as well. Um, I'm not saying there was not a better version of that movie out there. He didn't like it, for example, because. He wrote a graphic novel about anarchy and fascism. And he right. said none of those words were used in the movie at all. So it's, 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 and it's, it's made still by... It's heavily implied. Exactly. But he, his point is like, you're still too scared to say these things in a movie. Why make it? And I get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially like, you know, how the world is today or whatever. But my point is... It's a if you want to make, too. yeah, but if you want to make a movie about fascism, make a movie about fascism. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's a cautionary tale, like it's a dystopian future or whatever. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but yeah, he's on my cancel list. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's a dick. I'll cancel just be, him too. Just 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 be cool, bro. Like I, I like the comics he wrote, but like it's no excuse. Yeah. All right. So final thoughts. What do you think about this movie? Starts off really strong. But then, like, I'd say, like, halfway through Act 2, it just starts to sort of just fall apart. Yeah, same. Again, I don't... I think this movie is doable. I think you can get away with making a really good version of this. Right. I think that takes really smart people, really creative people to pull it off. Which were not the people that were working on this particular film. Exactly. This this seems like a cash grab uh, on everyone's part. And uh, I am chucking it in the Phantom Zone. I'm going to spare it. I can what? see Why? this. I can see this. I was at least entertained while I was watching it. I wasn't like... Yeah, the first 20 minutes is two hours long. Even like when it started getting stupid and like schlocky, I still... I was still like, you know what? I could throw this on in the background while I'm like not paying attention, but still like halfway watching I lived it. too much of my life with this alone in the background. Because again, <laughs> like I was in college and it was always on TV. This is before streaming. You couldn't just like put something on whenever you wanted. So you, you, you had to watch too cable. much of this movie. Yeah, no, I have too much of the first half of this movie. I'm. It's in the for me. It's in the Phantom Zone. I never want to hear about it again. If they make another one, fantastic. But this is. I'm with Sean Connery on this. This is this is done. I'll spare it. I'll spare it. All right. Fair enough. All right. So we are doing Kickass next, but for real this time because we yes, said for we're, real this time. look again. It was you know we thought we'd do this to at least have some something to <laughs> honor Sean Connery with. I mean, we're it's topical. We're praising him while bashing a movie that he himself did not like. So yeah, we're we're with him. Yeah, we're on his, we're side. his side. Yeah, exactly. So next is Kick-Ass. Uh, it is streaming on absolutely nothing, apparently. So rent it if you want to watch it. I I own it. So I own it, too. Yeah. So it's not our problem. <laughs> but if you want to watch along with that, with us, we encourage it. Honestly, just it's... Rent, just rent it. Spend three bucks. Yeah. It's a fun... That's a fun movie, and I will yeah. actually enjoy it's, talking it's, about it. It'd be, it'd be worth the rental, so just yeah. do it. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks to the Piano Dude for our musical intro. Make sure to leave a rating or a review. It really helps. we got to keep the Apple Spotify bots happy. Uh, you can tell a friend. I had a buddy 
who asked me if I if I knew any podcasts, and I almost said, "Hey, I'm making a podcast," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna fucking do that." Let you him, should let do it. Just, nah. So uh, we're on Instagram at Films from the Phantom Zone, all with underscores. Uh, sometimes we put up polls on there. Give us a follow. You can also tell us your opinions if you see some of these movies. If there's one of these movies that you've had on the background your entire life, like I've had with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. If you were alive in the like mid-2000s, it's probably... Yeah, no, for sure. Let you've us probably know. seen it on TV. Yeah, exactly. Let us know. Let us know if you hated it as much as we do. Let us know if you blame it for Sean Connery retiring. I mean, he was probably going to retire anyway. This is just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Right. Let us know whether you'd chuck in the Phantom Zone or not. Yeah, I would love to know where people stand on what gets chucked into the Phantom Zone. Argue with us on Twitter. Also, we're at Films from PZ. And if that's all you got, we'll see you guys soon. That's all I got. All right, sweet. Bye.